0: Welcome to the Hope Collective message podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. Will you join me for the word of the Lord? You can turn to Isaiah 6, Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 9. And the year, that the, Lord, uh, in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphims, each with six wings. Two, with two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory." at the sound of their voices the door and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with the smoke Woe to me i cried i am ruined for i am a man of unclean lips and i live among people with unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king the lord almighty then one of the seraphims flew to me with live coal in his hand which he had taken from the tongs of the altar with it he touched my mouth and said see has your lip has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord say, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Amen. That's the word of the Lord.
1: (laughs) That is the word of the Lord. The most important thing we'll hear all day, unless you crack it open another moment and read some more. I want us to get our hearts postured right before the Lord this morning. Because I believe God wants to sh- shake us a bit. You okay with that? There's coming a day, God says, and what can be shaken will be shaken. So let's get shaken early. <laughs> so let's sing this and just say, God, this is my truth today. I can do nothing without you. I need you.
0: And Lord, I need you. Oh I need you every
1: hour I need you My one defense My righteousness Oh God how I need you Come on lift it one more time oh, Lord, Lord I need you oh communicate in a lot of ways that we don't need you. But at the core of who we are, we know. We know, we know, we know that we need you. And so when we pray, we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. It is a good practice, I'm finding, to start and end your day just like that. God be praised and God be glorified. Uh, it's good to be up here with you this morning uh it's been six weeks, right yeah, I have a lot to say um but let me let me explain something to you if i can um i like it or not um, I'm learning to live with it I'm a visionary, and i ultimately spend the first fifteen minutes of my time up here casting vision and then I get to a message <laughs> if I get to a message. Um, I want you to understand something that I think goes to the core of who we are as a church. You've heard me get up here before and say that uh, my name's Dave and I'm one of the pastors here. And I've had different people come up to me and say, you're actually not one of the pastors here. You're the lead pastor. I'm like, I get that. Totally understand that. I just want you to know that I think we've made a mistake making our churches about personalities instead of people. And yes, there is leadership. God uses leadership and that's really important. And so I, I am living in obedience to be the leader, which is one of the elders of this church. So I'm a leader amongst equals, but we're an elder governed church and there is leadership. And if this thing tanks and goes down, I'll go down with the ship. I'll take the ownership. But what I need you to understand is the church needs to be more about the people than the person on stage. And we have a lot of people in this church gifted to speak. Matter of fact, because you have the Holy Spirit in you, any one of you could jump up here right now and preach the word. Now you're sitting here going, oh, heck no. And I'm fine with that. But there are gifted people that God has brought into this church to preach and we're gonna let them preach. We're gonna let them teach. And, and so I, I'm not gonna be the all the time fixture. And some of you said, yes, good. Amen. Um, because, and in, in hear in my heart, it, it's so much more than just the Sunday. It's about so much more than who gets up here and talks. We come into this space to glorify and honor God. And we want to hear truth from God's word, absolutely. But more than a person, it's the people of God. And as the people of God, we get to come in here together and glorify God. And that's what we're trying to make it about. That's what that's all about. And I just wanted you to understand that. Is that cool? I share that with you a little bit. Um, Doesn't mean I don't want to do this. I love this. And so we're in a new series called Rhythm. Okay, we just came out of a series. Um, We talked about that church around our values. Now we're talking about rhythm. Um, Does anybody else hate spelling this word? (laughs) Never get it right. Always auto-corrected or the red line of death comes up under the word every time I try to type it. Rhythm. It is not rhythms. Oh, sheesh. That was slick. You'll understand why in just a second. Um, it's not rhythms. There's no S there. It's rhythm. There is a rhythm of life that we want to live that goes together, it goes with each other. Um, it's this up in and out life that Jesus lived and Jesus modeled. And so whether it is me as a person living this up in and out life, or it is us as the collective, the church of God, living together this up in and out life, it is a rhythm that Jesus lived. Now, let me just take a minute and explain something very intentionally. I am not talking about you as an individual. I actually don't believe that we have individual faith that set really well. I don't think I am pursuing Jesus as an individual. I actually don't think Jesus set it up that way. It is a communal thing. We go together. I have personal time with the Lord, but it is a communal experience that we do together. So yes, I as a person have a rhythm with God. I as a person have a rhythm in with those who love Jesus. And I as a person have a rhythm of going out, but I do it with his church more than I do it on my own. It is a community thing. That's why this is so important. Now, if, if, if Jesus did it, we ought to do it. More response over here. Let's try that. <laughs> if Je- <laughs> This is participatory, yeah. right? That's small enough that we can all talk to each other if we want, right? Yeah. Just don't get disruptive. If you get disruptive, take you out. <laughs> Just kidding. If Jesus did it, we ought to do it. Well, yeah. come over here. <laughs> if Jesus said it, we ought to say it. That's right. Yeah, see? Now it's feeling like home. If Jesus thought it, we ought to think it. We think a lot of things, folks. But to have the mind of Christ would be powerful. To not be double-minded. We are so, anybody else, double minded. Some days you're thinking more about yourself than you're thinking about Jesus, more about the world you live in, more about those once and died. And other days you're like, all Jesus. But God wants to bring us to this place where God is driving and moving within us, and the world is being left behind. Now, up, in and out. As a church, we have said that we don't have a mission. Isn't it awesome to be part of a church that doesn't have a mission? right? Because God has a mission. Why would we create a mission on top of God's mission? Why would we not just come alongside God and say, we want to be part of what you're doing, not ask you to be part of what we're doing? How many times have we had to say, God, bless this instead of God, what are you blessing? so that I can dive in. And so the mission of God is to reconcile the world to himself through Jesus Christ. He's making all things new. Your heart and my heart, our hearts together, and he's putting it back, a new wine, right? Not an old flame, but a new fire. And so as a church, we talked about these values that come out of people who are committed to Jesus. Last eight weeks, we talked about that. The next three weeks, I want to talk to you about this rhythm in our own lives and in the life as a church of up, in, and out. After God, supporting, loving, going after each other, growing with each other. Because in that moment comes lots of healing and lots of discernment and lots of growth. And out. And so the way we say that is we gather to glorify God. We ga- this gathering, this isn't the beginning of the week for us, and we hear a little bit of God so that we can make it through the work because we're not one-day-over-everyday Christians. We're every-day-over-one-day Christians. And so we're coming into this place as if it's the end of the week to celebrate the goodness and greatness of God because no matter how your week was, good or bad, he's still good and great. And our joy comes from that place, Right? And so we come in here to celebrate not just that God is good, but that we were able to obey. And there's goodness in that. And where we didn't, there's repentance in that. And so we gather to glorify, we group to grow. That's that inward thing. That's where we get serious. And not just Bible study, where we say on the surface of our lives and tout and wax eloquently about what we think we know, but diving to the deeper places of what have happened and what we walk through and what we're learning and what God is doing. And we grow together because that's where we grow. And then we go fight these giants of injustice, spiritual emptiness, oppression, illiteracy, disease, poverty. And I'm not talking about the injustice the world tries to throw its social justice at because you can't change injustice with social justice. You only change injustice with gospel justice. Jesus is the only one that can fix someone. And so we want to be in this rhythm. We want to invite you into this rhythm as a church of, man, what does this relationship I have with God look like? And I want you to hear this. If you don't get the up right, if you don't get that first part right, this up relationship with God, you either won't engage the in and out or it'll be a counterfeit counterfeit version of the up and in and out. If you don't get the up part right, this up relationship with God, if we don't understand that, experience that in its reality and by the way you don't do one of these without the others these all go together it's a rhythm not rhythms what does it look like to be in relationship with god and each other that propels us into this world and if we're not propelled into this world then there might be something broken that god wants to fit and that's what we're going to talk about how do we get the upright we go to isaiah Caden, okay? thanks for reading that great job Uzziah, that's a tough one. Seraphim, right? Those are crazy words. Have you ever heard people get up and read from the Bible and just blow the the names, just blow it, right? Just read it as if you think you know and keep going. That's all you gotta do. That's That's how we do it when you're up here. Listen to this. I want you to hear. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Could you imagine? Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, meaning they were speaking continuously. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, Sociologists today are saying that the people of American culture, now let me, let me, let me say something when I say that. Um, I am, I am not a uh, American hater, America hater. I am not, I never will be. I love my country and I, I won't be ashamed of that just because somebody wants to call me something because I love my country. I do not put my country before the Lord though. That's where we get ourselves in, in trouble. But I love my country. And because I'm part of this country, I get to be hardest on on our own. We actually get to be hardest on our own. And so I want you to hear what's being said here because we live in a culture that is ultimately detrimental to us at times. And so here's what sociologists today are saying, that the people of American culture are becoming more and more self-absorbed. The people of American culture are becoming more and more self-absorbed. Now, I grew up in the, in the 80s and 90s when DC talk was big. Anybody in this? Whoa, yeah. Wow, that felt good, huh? Little, little DC talk. Man, where's Alex? We might have to throw some of that out there. Little, little DC talk. You know what I'm saying? I'll sing it. There's a, there's a song called In the Light that they sing. It's actually a Charlie Peacock song. What's really great about preaching um, in the church world today is that people will correct you when you're wrong. Um, I said this morning, they wrote the song and I found out Charlie Peacock wrote the song after service. Somebody let me know that. So I just want to get all that right. (laughs) Charlie Peacock wrote the song in the DC Talk made famous called In the Light. And the, the verse goes like this. The disease of self runs through my blood. It's a cancer fatal to my soul. Now hear this. Every attempt on my behalf has failed to bring this sickness under control. Every attempt, we have a selfish disease that is killing us, and the only one that can fix it is Jesus, Amen. God Himself. And so we want to dive into what that looks like. A couple more things, there's a lot of talk today in our culture, even though it's the most self-absorbed we have been about volunteering with the poor and socially conscious business and stopping poverty. And yet in our culture, we help the poor more often than not to feel good about ourselves. When you do the analysis of where our heart lies, and I'm not talking about everybody in the room, I'm sure there's some of us that do it from this place of wanting to make an impact for the kingdom of God, want no credit in it at all, and desire to have no feel good once it's done. For the most part, all that we do in our culture today, we do because somehow it benefits us. Somehow it feeds something within us. Listen to this Americans inside and outside the church give significantly smaller percentages of their income. Now, I'm not talking about tithing today. We're not going to get into a giving talk. It's not where we're going. But hear this this is really powerful significantly, inside, outside the church, give significantly smaller percentages of their income away to charity and ministry now than they did a generation ago. And a generation ago, they gave a significantly smaller percentage of their income away to charity and ministry than they did a generation before that. And yet, hear this, over the last 50 years, our living standards have been going up and up and up and up, and we are becoming more self-absorbed and less giving. volunteering in the culture. I'm not just talking about the church. I'm talking about the culture, but I'm definitely still talking about the church. Volunteering, and I'm not talking about everybody. Here's the deal. When something is said and it feels convicting, that's for you. If it feels affirming, that's for you. Okay, But we don't operate in guilt and shame and condemnation. Are you good with that? So typically, if I'm saying something and God hits you between the eyes with it, and you go, ugh, and you want to get defensive or offended or feel like, oh, he's talking to me or I'm out at him and I wish he wouldn't say that, don't feel guilt, shame, and condemnation. Just feel the Holy Spirit in your heart convicting you to change. Because when God looks at you, he doesn't see what's wrong with you. He sees what's missing. And when he puts his finger on the thing that is wrong, it's because you're settling and he wants to show you what he has for you. You hear that? That's, that's the spirit that we need to hear this from. Volunteering in almost every age category is down in American culture. Volunteering. Listen, we want. We run a. We want. Maybe we run a food pantry every Saturday here at this church, feeding over a hundred families. Sometimes less, sometimes way more. Feeding the poor. In America, and the fact that we would have to struggle for volunteers—it's crazy. I talked to Sue, first service, sitting right back there, who runs the food pantry. I said, do you, "Do you have plenty of volunteers?" She goes, "We never have plenty of volunteers." That's crazy. How can we become less absorbed with our own individual needs? The answer is. To have an encounter with God. To have an encounter with God. How do we come, become less absorbed in ourselves? Have an encounter with God. It actually does some powerful things when you have an encounter with God. Isaiah tells us a lot about that. What does it mean to encounter God's reality? And it's really a God shaking, if you will. And we need a God shaking to happen in all of our lives. In the church today. It's a God shaking that actually leads to a self shaking. We see that happen to Isaiah in this passage. And then from there to a world shaking. Listen, the world is where it is today because the church is where it is. Hey, do you guys know? <laughs> uh, do you know that the world is where it is today because the church is where it is? Amen. Yeah. Listen, I don't, I don't. I'm walking now. <laughs> I don't. I don't need us to have a verbal outward response, but I really want us to hear this. I want us to really process this. I, I'm not saying that if the church was perfect, the world would be perfect. Not what I'm saying. But the the church is the world is where it is today because the church doesn't look a whole lot different than the world today. In our lives, and if if we would have an encounter with God that totally wrecked the selfishness inside, it would change the world. A matter of fact, there's proof right here. You just, it's right here. We see how God uses a person to wreck us. Isaiah comes into the temple and sees the Lord high and lifted up, his train filled the temple. What he sees is the glory of the Lord. Verse four, he sees the glory of God. The Hebrew word for glory literally means weight. He sees the weight of God. He sees the weight, the important versus the unimportant, the real versus the counterfeit or the concept. He sees it. His glory compared to anything else. God alone is permanent. God alone is real. God alone matters compared to anything else. Nothing but God matters. There's an example that we'll kind of walk with here. If you drop an object that's heavier than water into water, what's happening? Well, that's true. Nobody's ever nobody ever said what happened to the thing that was dropped. Let me try it again. When you drop something heavier than water into water, what happens to the water? There it is. It's displaced. There's a flood. There's a ripple effect. It's amazing that it sinks. That's how I worded it. That's awesome. When the object has more glory or more weight than the water, the water shakes. Go with me. When the reality of God comes down into your life, it changes everything. When the reality of God comes down into your life, when this happens to Isaiah, everything is rearranged. His view of himself, his view of God, he changed, history is changed as a result of the weight of glory. Every single place in Scripture where God's presence comes down, there is a shaking because of the glory of God. He is more glorious than anything. And so Moses on Mount Sinai, whoo, the glory of the God passes, and what happens? There is an earthquake. The upper room, they're waiting for the presence of God to come, and when it comes, it shakes the whole place. God's glory doesn't show up without a shaking. Are you being shaken? Compared to God, everything else has no weight. And whenever God's reality comes down, everything is shaken. Compared to God, everything else has no weight. Let's talk about the difference between God as a concept and God as a reality. We're talking about the difference in believing in God and having an encounter with the weight of God's glory. The difference in just believing, many well, lot of us believe, demons believe, versus having an encounter with God that actually changes us where we look different than the world in which we're living in. When Isaiah walked into the temple and saw the Lord, he didn't say, oh, there really is a God. No, because he already believed. Listen to this and hear this. Up to this moment, God was just a concept, and then all of a sudden, God became a reality. Reality. What's the difference between a concept and a reality? It's all a matter of glory. It's all a matter of weight. When you hear glory, hear weight. When you hear weight, hear glory. What is the difference between a concept and a reality? Listen, God as a concept is lighter than you. Now, let me just point the difference. God as a reality is what we want. God as a concept doesn't do much because it's lighter than you. Let me illustrate if I can. When you bring God as a concept into your life, you shape it. Let's help. Ha, concept of God. By the way, on the front row, there are umbrellas. There are umbrellas under your seats if you're sitting on the front row. Just to have them there just in case. I just, uh, just, uh, the other rows, eh. You should have. I'm just saying, here it comes. Listen, when you bring God as a concept into your life, you shape the concept, just like you shape every other concept in your life. Family. The concept of Family that we shape, that has become really a place of idolatry in our culture, where it becomes more important than God. How about this one? Relationships. We have our concept of relationships and how they ought to work, and yet God has a clear concept of relationships and how they ought to work. But we've shaped that. Religion, a little bit different than a God concept. They're kind of similar, but they have different things they're trying to solve. Yeah, we'll find it again. Truth, it's a concept in some of us where we say all truth is relevant. It's my truth. That's not even true. (laughs) But we put God's concept in with all those dumb concepts, right? Work. Man, we form so many thoughts around this. We ask our kids as they're growing up, what do you wanna be when you grow up? Instead of how do you wanna be when you grow up? because we don't want them defined by what they do, but we're so defined by what we do, and yet if you go to a third world country, they're not defined at all by what they do. They actually survive by what they do. We've made it a thing. It's a concept. Success. It's Always a a test, never a blessing. But boy, do we chase success, don't we? Politics. (laughs) It got concept just right in there with it all. And, and here's, what, here's what happens is we have all this, this things that are forming our agendas and our thoughts. And, thank you. And our, we just take the God concept and we just throw it in there with it. And yeah, it may splash a little bit, but it doesn't displace much. It just fits right in with everything and shifts it around a little bit. It's not, it's not changing us. Now, Listen. When you, bring a God concept, when you bring God as a concept into your life, you shape it. It fits in around your existing patterns. It doesn't move you around. It doesn't shake you. If you believe in God and it just hasn't changed you very much, then it might be just a concept. If you believe in God and it hasn't radically shaped who you are and what you say and what you do and how you act and how you treat others and how you live and how you give and how you talk, then you might just have a concept of God and not a reality of God. Now listen, I'll get in trouble for this. I'll get emails from this one. But, I, but, I, but you need to hear this because this is what's going on in our culture today. I love that the first service we were packed out and we had, we're probably gonna have to do an overflow now. I love that you're here. I love that there are those of you right now watching online and through whatever thing you're processing or why you can't be here, we're just glad you're here and part of this. So thank you. But there is a group of, of followers of Christ in the world Right now, today, some part of this church, some part of other churches that are going nowhere on Sundays, not part of any kind of gatherings, any kind of church. And I want you to understand, we talk about that kind of stuff, and we're sitting there talking about a staff, and one of the guys on the staff, I believe it was Alex, said, you know what, I wonder if that when people had church and then didn't have the church, they realized that their life was no different when they had it than when they didn't have it, and so they can just do without it. That's God as a concept in that particular situation. A good God concept can't really change your beliefs around. It just fits in with your existing beliefs. It just fits in. We don't believe in God in a way that He comes in and rearranges our beliefs. He just fits in with our current beliefs. Our beliefs come from our cultural moment, family of origin, how we were raised, the media we listened to, the parents who raised us, the friends that we had, the things people said or didn't say. Uh, The the cultural narrative shapes us a lot, whether we like it or not. And our beliefs often come from our cultural moment. And our cultural moments seem so real, don't they? The things that are going on in the world, if, if, if CNN says it, it must be true. If Fox says it, it must be true. I'll pick on both of them. And, and so there's this reality that is a reality and so therefore whether it says it in scripture or not it doesn't really matter because what culture says is more important than what God says and so I'll rip that stuff out because I can't explain it. And that's the culture, what's reality of culture coming to bear upon our concept of God. All cultural moments seem so real. That's real. That's got glory. It's got weight. And so I ought to shift things to make sure that it fits. And we come to the Bible and we say, oh, I can't believe that. I can't believe that. I can't believe that. And in other words, you don't have a real God. You have a concept. Because you can't take anything away from it. And you can't twist it to make it fit your lifestyle or someone else's you love. That's a, concept of God versus a reality of God you have a God as a concept, you don't have a God that can actually change some of your deepest held beliefs because there's some of the things in our buckets that actually need to be popped and fully reconstructed with a God reality they need to contradict us, God, God reality contradicts us, actually changes us but a God concept fits into us. You shape the God concept, and the God concept doesn't shape you. You've got more glory than the God concept. It's lighter. You have more glory than the God concept. You're heavier than what is the God concept can do to change you, because it's just a concept. I'm over-saying this because I really want us to get it. God concept not only moves into the existing patterns of our beliefs, but our agendas, our plans, our goals, our priorities, everything I hate religion, but plenty of people try to get religious because they need help to accomplish their goals. What they want, going to God as a, their blessing source. Not for his mission. You fit God into your mission, your existing beliefs, my existing. God as a concept is lighter than you, but God as a reality is heavier than you. The weight of glory. I need you to get this and hear this, and I'm, I'm moving quick. When the real God comes into your life, you actually get into the presence of the real God. Things give way in your life to his glory, to his weight, to his presence, to his goodness, to his plan, to his love, to his healing. Things give way in your life to his glory. Things that you always believed and believed deeply are changed by his word because his word. God has more glory than your beliefs and he can change things that you think and instead of God being fit into your agenda, God becomes your new agenda. Radically changes your priorities. God reality. Let me illustrate. Oh, got it, we're good. Okay, hang on. Thanks, Katie. Come here, come here, God concept. (laughs) I threw it in there, right? Let's just act like this is it. God concept. God reality. Did you get that? You got it. It's got weight. Reality, God's reality, God's glory has weight. The weight of glory. Your agenda and my agenda apart from God is to have very safe, tidy lives. That's what we want. To watch our back, to be really careful. Look out for number one and God says no, bravery. God says courage. God says self-sacrifice. God says sacrifice your individual needs because I'm more real than your individual needs. That's what God says, that's what God reality says. Because I have glory, and when God, the reality, comes into your life, all of the other starts to change. Come on. That's right. Reality. So you thought I wasn't going to do it, didn't you? God, reality, Weight weight of glory, our lives. Oh, boy, the God concept just got rocked, <laughs> right? See, because when God reality hits, God reality hits, you actually have no use for that. Whatsoever. I knew it was going to break because I got the big balloons because they don't sell little ones right now. God concept does not change you or displace you, but God reality displaces everything. So that God can then come and tend That's right. to you. So that he can build the real you instead of the false you. That culture is trying to build right now. That the enemy of your soul is trying to build. To get you to keep God as just a concept. So he can't change you from the inside out. But God reality, the weight of his glory will always displace you. I didn't realize this was happening though. (laughs) I kind of was ready for it and I kind of wasn't. Listen, every single person who has really met God is aware of the time when God went from being a concept to a reality. And I'm not talking about just the time you were saved. That was one of them. But the ongoing sanctificating work that God wants to do in your heart every moment of every day where he's crashing into our God concepts with reality, The weight of his glory. Listen, Isaiah is going into the service of worship and the reason he is so shocked is because the last person he thought he would meet was God. How many times do we come into these places with the last person we think we're gonna meet here this morning is God who we're here to glorify, who wants to displace. Who who would have thought that we would meet God in a worship service? God was a concept until this moment, and when he showed up as a reality, he began to rearrange everything in Isaiah's life. Has that happened to you? Is he contradicting you? Because he will. Is he changing you? Has he completely demolished and re-engineered your agenda and beliefs and the way you look at life? If you are out of touch with the reality of God, then you are out of touch with reality. And there are a lot of people in our world today that are absolutely out of touch with reality. Now, I'm out of time, and I have a lot more to say. How do you know that God has become a reality, not a concept? You actually have a self-shake. You go from a God-shake to a self-shake. And it's in that moment, and I want you to hear this, because every one of us in here need to be undone. Our God concepts need to be undone how we've let that concept just impact everything else or not impact anything needs to be undone. The way we've been wired, the trauma that we've experienced, the things that we've been told, the lies that we believe, the sin that so easily entangles us needs to be undone. We have to come face to face with the reality of God because when that happened to Isaiah, what he said was, I am undone. Read it right here. For I am a man of unclean unclean lips. I am ruined, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King the Almighty. Listen, you have to understand this deeply. Every place in the Bible where people move from God as a concept to reality, where people begin to move into the presence of the reality of God, they begin. Oh, I'm going to say something that's just going to upset you. They begin to hate themselves. Now, that's we love ourselves. No. When I say hate themselves, there is a false you, a false narrative that has been building in us that has been not impacted by a concept of God that God's reality wants to destroy. And when God reveals who he is, we ultimately see who we are in light of who he is. And what we do is we say, I hate who I am because it's not who God made me to be. And so we see Job said, I heard you with my ears, but now I see you with my eyes, and I repent in dust and ashes. Isaiah says, woe is me, I am undone. Peter says, depart from me, I am a sinful man. Paul says, what a wretch. And it's not because they're gazing at their navels, egoring it, poor me. It's because they see the beauty and the glory of God in the moment, and as a result, they realize who he is in light of who they are. And they invite that presence to radically transform who they are. See, this up relationship with God has less with you going into the presence of God so that you can bless God. I think we think that. Hey, God, I'll get with you today. Man, you're gonna love that I'm there. And when we get convicted in the church setting and people say you need to spend more time with God, we're like, I know, God's missing me right now. You know what? All that's true. He does miss you. And you do bless his heart. He does enjoy you. But what would happen if we went to God less for what we're going to do in blessing Him and more for what we're ready to let Him do in us? us, us. That we would invite a God shake to shake us up from the inside out and expose everything so that in that we can say, gosh, I'm a sinner. Man, I am broken. I am undone. And God comes in and says, oh, but I've got a coal. And the angel of the Lord picks it up because we know it's the fire of God and Isaiah must have thought he was going to wipe him out. But he comes and he touches his lips and he purifies and he cleanses him And then he looks at him and says, hey, I know you felt unworthy and undone. But in the midst of that, I have atoned for you and I am working in you and I am bringing hope and life to you and I am healing you and I am bringing freedom to you so that I can send you. Who's ready? And Isaiah goes, oh, send me. Send me. I'm going to ask the band to come. That's good. When we think about up, I want us to think less about the duty that we have to spend time with God and the delight that we have to be totally disrupted by him. That what he wants to do is displace us, bring conviction to us, rebuke us, admonish us, in love with, with, with a heart to make you like Jesus. Do you know one of the verses I hate that people use so poorly at the wrong time? I love the verse, I hate the way we use it. That's better to say it that way. <laughs> I don't hate the verse, hate the way people use it. You're going through a difficulty, right? Because the concept of God isn't changing you. <laughs> That's another whole sermon. And we say, hey, listen, God works all things together for good for those who love God. And you're going, shut up. Why Why does that, why does that seem to not, to not hit or to not ring true? Because we're defining the good that we think God's gonna do is clashing with the bad that's happening. And so we can't imagine that the good he's gonna do is gonna impact the bad that's happening. We've put those two too close together. We want God to change the circumstance. God's not gonna change the circumstance. He's gonna use the circumstance to change you. And so he goes on in verse 29 to say, the good isn't your good. It ultimately is your good, but it's my good to find. I get to define good, and it's making you into the image of Jesus. He needs to displace you, the false you, so that he can build you into the true you, which is the Jesus you, which is the spirit you. And so we say, God, I come into your presence to experience your reality. And oh, may the train of your road fill this temple. May I know you and be radically changed. And may I not seek to change this, but may this change me. That's our hope for you. That's why we gather to glorify, to experience the weight of glory. That's why, as the chairman, that's why when you write on those cards something that doesn't benefit you. See, they weren't singing holy, holy, holy out of the holiness that benefits them. It's just the fact that he's holy and they didn't stop singing it. They just sang it over and over and over and over and over and over. He's holy. And that's that's a great place to be is in the holiness of God. So God, I just pray in this moment for us. I don't know where each person is, but I know that we all need Undone. I know that we have concepts of God at work in us, and we need your reality to shape us. Know that. So we come into this space, and we invite the presence of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit, to come like a bowling ball into our lives and to wreck the false self. Wreck the enemy's work wreck the places where we're dependent upon religion and not Jesus. Bring cleansing and healing and hope and joy and forgiveness so that we can leave this place and actually have a message to the world that we don't just talk about but we've experienced and tell them about the goodness of God that isn't a concept, it's a reality. May that be our reality. God, as we take this moment to reflect and sing, I pray that we would be inviters of you. Inviters of you into our heart, into our life. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.